responsibility of rehearsing the gospel every day. So if you are a brother and a sister or a sister of Christ in here this morning, your worship continues this morning. In what does the good news mean to you? That word we get from a Greek word that is all throughout the New Testament, euangelion, which means good news. And the Anglo-Saxons translated to God spell, which led us to the word gospel. The gospel, what it means, the good news. In a, in a day and age, if you were given this assignment that I have right here, right now, what would you say? What would you be able to expound and point to Scripture this morning? This is not going to be a long sermon. This is a continuation of the sermon you've already been a part of. We look in Matthew chapter 28 just for a brief moment, and we see something that is very interestingly connected in the last chapter of Matthew, where we see that he has risen. Verse 1, in the end of the day of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other and Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto women, fear not ye. For I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. That should resonate as a heartbeat of our soul. Because we know that Romans 6 tells us that it's by the very same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead that gives you the power to walk in a newness of life. Today, One of the things I'm going to go ahead and put right there at the end of the sermon, this is the response. Let this be the last Easter you walk all over the meaning of the resurrection. Let this be the last Easter that you wait for the next Easter to be excited about what he's done. Let this be the first Easter perhaps for you that the resurrection resonates in your daily walk each and every day because either he is Lord or we're all crazy. And the world will say, finally, you get it, preacher. You're all crazy. The history, the archaeological findings, the science and all of that points to an empty grave this morning. And in our hearts, we know, don't let this preacher talk to you or talk you into something that you know in your heart is a reality of every day. But how did it live out? with you on Saturday, on Friday, on Thursday. I need to speak to the believers this morning. Are you risen again in your soul? Do you, have you taken an inventory of what it means to truly be saved? Do you take a daily inventory? And does it excite you? And I know it's hard because we're living by a thing called faith. As a matter of fact, you continue in the story in Matthew 28, and you look at the other parallel passages that we introduced this week, you will see that John and Peter run to the grave. John stops at the grave. Peter runs in, because he's always running in, right? He runs in, and he sees, he sees the empty tomb. But you know what it says in Scripture? They did not understand. They did not comprehend that he had risen. 
they in essence went back to their sad little rooms and sat there defeated. As a matter of fact, we will see later in Peter's story in John chapter 21, he goes to Galilee where the angel of the Lord says, Jesus is going to Galilee, go find him. He's going to Galilee, he's going to be on his way there. They, Peter goes to Galilee and goes fishing again. There is this wrestling of our faith in what is taking place in the world around us, what is taking place in our minds, and what Jesus has fully liberated us from this morning. I didn't even type out a sermon. I just started writing, thinking about the blessings that have come from being saved. Saved from my helplessness in sin. I am no longer shackled to make sinful decisions. I can every day wake up with his mercies new every morning. His compassions, they do not fail. And so with that, I then have a new outlook towards humanity. This is my list. This is my testimony. You get your own. But what has he done for you to where you can walk each day regardless of the circumstances? I have a joy, a joy that it fills the cup and pours over. That's because what we have, folks, this morning is meant to be shared. We ought to walk out here free and burdened at the same time. We are free from our sins, but burdened to share the loss because what is the end of Matthew chapter 28? What is the end of their, in, their uh, interpretation of the empty grave? The end is Jesus coming to them and saying, go ye into all the world, teaching everyone and baptizing them. That is our lifelong purpose. There is no coincidence that he rose at the beginning of chapter 28 and he ascends with a message to you and to me to go and share that message abroad. So believers in here, are you excited? I'm not trying to pump up for the music here that was incredibly worshipful. I am filled with adrenaline in the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure how much is which, but I am pumped up because everything that we just sang this morning is a reality that goes against what the world is saying, goes against what my mind wants to dictate some days, goes against the sinfulness that is out there and in this flesh. He has saved me from my own impossible stack of limitations. And there is a liberation in there. And there is a responsibility in there. He has brought unity, radical unity. That's because there is true, genuine, unconditional forgiveness. There's nothing I could have done to earn his grace. Therefore, there's nothing I can do to let him down. Therefore, those he tells me who sin against me, he says, forgive them as I forgave you. Therefore, there should not be any bitterness harboring in my heart towards any individual. I have the freedom to walk into a room full of enemies and show grace and love. I am free from seeking vengeance. I am free from what people think about me. I am free from being having to shut my mouth on what I believe is true. I am free from having to speak an opinion because I have truth that goes beyond what I think. This is my list. You're going to have to get your own. But what does the good news mean to you? When we live in a world with fake news, Fox News, poor news, interpreted news, we have the good news every day. And I want, I speak the name of Jesus, that song, 
that song, just my heart's desire as a pastor, to be able to do that here on Sunday morning. But then when I'm on my way to Pennsylvania for spring break at the gas station and when I'm in the van and we're not there yet, to my children who have gotten on my nerves and in the relationships that I have at my workplace, I want to speak the name of Jesus. But I wonder, if you look at John chapter 21, have you taken an assessment of what the good news means to you, or have you fallen a little discouraged like Peter was? You guys know this story in John chapter 21. We're getting to the end of yet another gospel here, and we have Jesus coming in a familiar scene in John chapter 21. Verse 3, Simon Peter said unto him, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately in that night. They caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have you any meat? They answered him, no. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. This is a parallel scene of when he calls the, the disciples first to follow him in Matthew chapter 4. Here is Jesus, knowing that we are creatures of habit, knowing that we are creatures to be distracted and easily defeated. He presents himself because he is the master teacher and teachers are the best at repeating the message. And he comes here and says, hey, remember me? Hey, remember when I said, follow me, and you followed me, and you laid down your nets? Remember when I proved my power by allowing you to catch fish in an impossible way? He brings this scenario back before them because he never lets his children go. There's one specific child that is specifically discouraged here. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus, verse 7, love saith unto Peter, <laughs> I just love John here showing up. It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him and did cast himself into the sea. He said, forget about walking on the water. I don't have time. I'm going to swim to him. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they, then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus said unto him, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, 153, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then comes and takes bread and giveth them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. And here is this. Listen to yourself in this storyline. So then, when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jodas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, 
Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to let him know, you're going to make it. You know how he tells him? You're going to die like I did. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou wast old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee without thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying but what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, can it be that simple, folks? Follow me. Now, some get caught up in, and I think there's an interesting conversation to have here, that when Jesus is saying, do you love me? He's using agape. And when Peter's responding, he's using philio. There is a conversation to be had there about Jesus is saying unconditional depth of love, and Peter's just saying, you're my friend, you're my confidant, I'm with you, but I think what we need to really, really focus on is if you'll see what kind of fire was taking place. In verse 9, the only place in the New Testament where a fire is specifically um, described as a charcoal fire. One of two places. Do you want to guess where the other place is? John chapter 18, Peter has followed all the way into the temple, and he is sitting around a coal of fire warming himself. And it is where he betrays Jesus three times. Jesus brings this charcoal fire to remind Peter, although you've gone that far, I've come to you. Follow me. Is it that simple? Could it be that simple? That that's the reason why three times he says, do you love me? So Peter can know, but Jesus still has purpose and meaning for him in his life. We know the end of Peter's story, where he actually gets crucified upside down because he does not want to be crucified in the same manner of his king of kings and his lord of lords. Perhaps today is the day for those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to recognize that they're at that charcoal fire pit and he is saying, hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you think he didn't know the answer when he asked the question? Haven't we been talking about, isn't it interesting when God asks questions? Because he always knows the answer. And then, so, brothers and sisters, how do you respond? Are you going to be where, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, would you be like Peter, where there's a need to return, get out of your discouragement, see that even in, when Jesus knows how far you've gone in betraying him, he is there to return you to that spot, not to rub your face in it, but let you know, I love you and you have purpose, go feed the sheep. Get back on track. Get back into what you're supposed to be doing. Live out the purpose that I've saved you for. Or could we be like Apostle Paul, which is leaning and transitioning to the lost that are in here as well. But could we be the Apostle Paul who is just 
glad to be abased. He's stuck in prison. He's ready to be beheaded. He's writing to a church here in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, there's a whole passage in which he talks about, verse 12, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you among there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching in vain? I just wrote this down. What does preaching in vain mean to me? That my words of life and freedom and genuine healing have no value. That the much needed counsel I seek to offer to those in difficult times has no way. That this, if Jesus was not risen, the very fabric of every core value of which I live my life and make my most crucial decisions would it be evaporated. The battle cries against the satanic oppression that's in this room would have no power because my attempts would be in vain and empty because if Jesus had not risen, I cannot speak. It's that big that Jesus has risen in my life. He also says that your faith is in vain. I wrote this, that my ability to know which way to walk when I rise up every day would be gone. The heartbeat of the body of my worldview would flatline. Lunacy would replace my grasp on logic. The engine that drives me forward towards forgiveness and helping others. The need to sacrifice others is no longer necessary. Uh, we would not have, I would not have any more examples of the faith of how to live life. Just opinions and constant change. This is how unraveled it would become if Jesus hadn't risen. We would be made liars of God. We would be responsible currently, right now. I'd be responsible for misleading you towards true salvation, towards the real God, the ultimate truth. We would be without a heavenly father to plead to and interceding Jesus who's praying on our behalf and the filling of the Holy Spirit to do anything. That's how helpless, and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, we would be men most miserable. But guess what? He rose again. So reverse all of that because none of those things are impossible because Jesus rose again. So I'm going to ask you this question I've asked this church before. If Jesus didn't rise again, news flash, they found his bones, DNA evidence says that he, that is Jesus of Nazareth, there's no doubting. There's this huge conference, the world across, and a bunch of preachers of all denominations come and examine the bones themselves, walk away, head down, and they come to a news conference and announce to all of Christendom, 33% of the world's population, it's been a hoax this whole time. If that had happened, would your life really change? Or would you just have an extra day off on the weekend? Because you can be a good person and not be a godly person. You can work well and have good work ethic and be a good kid in a Christian school and be a good Christian school teacher and a good dad and a good mom to an extent. There's a lot of atheists that are kinder than Christians. How radically altering would your life be because you are so dependent upon the reality that he is risen. Let me conclude with this. I have in Luke chapter 23, if you'll turn with me there, Luke 23, 
If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, would you begin praying in your heart for the person that is here that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior? Because we have a reality of what Alistair Begg brought before us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul warns the Corinthian church. He says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled or fooled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Boy, has he wrecked and complicated the good news. But boy, was it simple for the man in the middle. What did he do? How did that conversation go? Well, what we know is he was at the end of his rope and he was repentant of where he was in his own sinfulness. In verse 39, we have, and one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him saying, if you be Christ, save thyself and us. Notice the word if was present. What made this, this other thief so special? You thought about looking at his words? He didn't do the sinner's prayer. Like Alistair Begg said, he didn't declare the justification of faith. He didn't know the five solas of by faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, through Jesus alone, for his glory alone. He didn't know any of that. This is what he did know, verse 40. Please, if you don't know Christ this morning, it's this simple. The other answering rebuked the person that was in doubt. He said, do you not fear God? Seeing Thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward. I am a wretch. There is none righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags. Whatever damnation and judgment I receive, I earned it. I deserve it. It is called repentance. King David probably said it the best in Psalms 51. Purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Even Job, who worshiped God at the end of all of his sufferings, comes to the end of his questions and God ripping into him saying, I am God, I'm not going to give you a because to the why, just know I am sovereign and I am here. And Job, in his clarity, says, woe unto me, I have sinned greatly and repents with, with sackcloth and ash. Here we see that. We see in when you do the Romans road to lead someone to Christ, is it that simple? Jesus did say, let the children come unto me because it is the faith of a child that allows someone to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But in Romans chapter 10, we know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 tells us to confess with our mouth the Lord. We recognize that Jesus is not just a man. 
He was God incarnate. We embrace that because he said here in verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Can you say amen to that, those who are saved this morning, that we are not worthy of the good news, but he has saved us. This man hath done nothing. He is pure. He is perfect. He is another way to say that. He is holy. And he said unto Jesus, what is the word? Lord. No, this is not lordship salvation. This is just reading the English words we have before us. He recognized his Godhead. He recognized his power to save. And he called upon him. Will you remember me? There is nothing I can do. I keep swinging back to my plea to those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That there's nothing you can do. He's already done it. And he loves you this morning and he wants you to put your trust in him this morning. Because it is life changing. Sure, you've had bad church experiences. Sure, there's a ton of debate amongst, amongst all of the denominations. Don't you think Satan was taking notes the whole time of how to make this complicated from day one? Sure, there's sinful people in this room. That doesn't mean we don't go to church anymore. That doesn't mean we don't thrive to help them. That part of our purpose is to attach to people that are messy like us. Saved, yet broken, repaired only by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then I transition to my own lowliness because when you get Jesus to save and pour over you, there is a change in your life. I do believe that the man on the cross, if he had somehow survived that crucifixion, his life would have radically looked different afterwards. He wouldn't have gone back to thieving. He would have been with the Acts 2 church in Jerusalem going, Woo! Let's live! This is the way! And because this is what's crazy about all of this, these disciples who didn't even have a grasp on the reality and the value of the resurrection of Jesus on the day he rose, on Easter Sunday, the first Easter was not celebration, it was confusion. Maybe the second Easter they were celebrating at that point. You know what they did? They went on to claim great fame for themselves. They became legends in Rome. They began to establish great works that reached far and wide on the physical plane of man's understanding of success. No, as a video that was kind of funny that I saw recently that speaks against what atheists think we say about the resurrection, they were brutally murdered for establishing this as truth. You know why? Because they saw the risen king with their own eyes and there was nothing they could do because they had seen him alive. Do you have that faith? Let it come out. Let it be seen. Let it be unashamed. In just a moment, as a matter of fact, I'll ask our worship team to come forward. We're going to sing a song that is probably our church's theme song. It's Gratitude. And uh, I'm going to give you just a moment. If you guys would just start playing the song, don't start singing it yet until I pray. There's a couple of things that need to happen right now. I think every last one of us need to evaluate and, and establish we are so grateful for you, Jesus, that 
Easter Sunday is just a recognition of what tomorrow will bring and that I have a responsibility to go live in that freedom today. Perhaps you're discouraged like Peter for whatever's happened in your life and Jesus is bringing you to that fire pit again to remind you to go feed his sheep and you need to claim to him today, I'm no longer gonna let this situation, that person, that church hurt, that failed situation, this mind keep me from doing what you've created me to do and that is to tell others. Perhaps you're stirring in your heart because you're being called by the Holy Spirit this morning to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're not playing music to stir your heart. As a matter of fact, what I want you to do is I want you to wait till after the service and come find me over in a corner and I'll talk to you about Jesus then because I don't want you to walk away from today thinking you were manipulated by a pastor so he could get a notch on his belt. You need to know that if you want Jesus this morning, he came for you. Today is for you. And I would be amiss if I did not freely invite you into the family of God. So, however it meets you this morning, would you bow your heads, would you close your eyes, would you go before him this morning? Just pray to him in your heart what needs to be dealt with. This is your time. I must be silent. Holy Spirit can speak. Pray to your heavenly Father who loves you. thank you for this day and I thank you for the life of Christ. I pray that I was obedient in just sharing my heart as a believer. That this would not be a platform for me to be an actor on. As I try and seek to live these things out, I can only do these things through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the confidence in your word. Even when doubts come, Lord, and they do often, when sinfulness knocks on my door. Lord, I thank you for seeing those moments and saving me from them. Lord, I pray for my brother or my sister in this room this morning struggling with damaged faith. Perhaps it's guilt of how they've turned away to some extent as Peter did or Perhaps it's hurt they have experienced for some time and not ever unpacked. Would you let them see Jesus on the beach there saying, come and dine. Lord, free them from that bondage. Free them from those things in their minds. 
Let them pick up your word again as it is new to them. Let them not be able to live another day without sustenance from your word and from prayer. Renew their confidence in the need for them at church, for they are our family. Lord, what is it? I pray on their behalf. Please free them from that. Lord, I pray for our church, Fellowship Baptist Church, that we would be a church that can mean these things, that we can mend broken fences, Lord, that we can push aside bitterness, rivalry, discontent, not let Satan mess with our family, that we would expand with open arms to all of the churches around us, to the Radcliffe and to beyond, the community that needs us vibrantly and unashamed for you. Would you let us be excited about evangelism, spreading the good news in our lives? Lord, I pray for the lost soul today, that they may be found. It is only you who saves Help them to confess that you are Lord. Call them to repentance, to put their trust in a faithful God. Wherever we are this morning in that, Lord, I pray that we would be able to stand as a family and sing and mean these words. For we are grateful. We are so grateful. In Jesus' precious name, amen.